C.S. Lewis, that famous English professor of the 20th century and author of many loved books, including the Chronicles of Narnia, wrote these words following the death of his wife. Where is God? This is one of the most disturbing symptoms. But go to God when your need is desperate, when all other help is in vain. And what do you find? A door slammed in your face and a sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside. You see, Lewis was struggling with God in the loss of his wife. And Lewis was wrestling with, is God really good? Does God really hear my prayers? Does does he listen to me? Does it matter to him? Does he care? Have you ever felt like Lewis felt? Have you ever felt that you've gone to God and all that you found was a slammed door and a double bolting of, of locks from the inside? Well, these are the questions that we'll think about this morning as we look in James chapter 1. It'll be in James 1, beginning in verse 16. I'd invite you to take a pew Bible if you don't have one and turn to page 1071. This book was written by Jesus' half-brother named James. And he wrote to believers who were a part of the church at Jerusalem, but because of persecution had been scattered out all over the, the Mediterranean world. They had faced intense persecution. And so now James, a key leader of the church at Jerusalem, he's writing to these believers to encourage his flock who have been scattered out. Let's look together in James chapter 1, verse 16. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. By his own choice, he gave us birth through the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. In this text, James teaches that we should trust in the goodness of God. We should trust in the goodness of God. Why? Why should we trust in the goodness of God in the face of all of the suffering that, that, that's out there that, that we experience? Well, let's look at the text. Now, earlier in chapter one, remember that James talks about trials. He talks about the, the kind of suffering that, that believers often endure. Then, He talks about temptation, the inward battles that we face with with our own temptations. And so James knew that some of the people that he was writing to, that some of these believers were going to come to a place of doubting the goodness of God. If God is good, then why all of these battles? Why all of this pain? Why all of these temptations? Those were the questions that, that, that were on the minds of these believers. So in the midst of trials, we're often tempted to question the character of God. If God is good, why did this happen? Why did that happen? It's a question that most of us have wrestled with personally when we've walked through some dark times in our lives, but it's not only a question that we ask in the face of our own pain, but we ask it in the face of of the pain that you just see when you hear about some horrible uh, event of child abuse or, or you look at the kind of terrible fallout that comes from from natural disasters, we're tempted to go, God, why? God, are you good? How can these be? If you're good, God, how can all of this be, be, be happening? And so James knew that these doubts were lurking in the minds of, of these believers. After all, as I mentioned a moment ago, many of these believers knew pain and agony firsthand. Many had left their homes in Jerusalem for fear of death. Many had been tortured for their faith. 
The issue of pain and suffering for these believers wasn't an issue of philosophy that philosophers debate or academics or professors go on about in their ivory tower discussions. No, this was real life. They were feeling the weight of suffering in their own lives. Some, perhaps, still had wounds that were bleeding. Others, maybe, had just buried loved ones. Oh, these were real questions. They were real questions. So how? How can a person who who knows God and who loves God face this kind of anguish? Is God really who he says he is? Is God really good? Well, James doesn't write a theological essay, but he does tackle these questions. He tackles them head on. James says, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. And if you'll remember from verses 13 through 15, we saw that sin often specializes in deception. Satan likes to deceive us and trick us and blind us to the truth. And so Satan, in his schemes, in the midst of our pain, he wants us to doubt God. He wants us to doubt God's goodness. Wants us to doubt that God really loves us. Wants us to doubt that God really exists. And so for this reason, James urges believers not to be deceived about the character of God. Notice that James calls his readers dear brothers and sisters. It's as if James is looking in the eye, eyes of, of one of these brothers of his who is struggling, puts his hand on their shoulder and says, listen, don't, don't you give up. Don't you doubt that God is good We may not understand all that he allows. We may not understand what he permits. But brother, don't you lose sight of who God is. Don't lose sight of his goodness amidst the sorrow and amidst the questions. Keep holding on to your faith. That's what James is telling these believers. That hope can be found in the character of God, in who God is. He reminds these dear brothers and sisters that every good and perfect gift is from above without qualification. If it is good, it ultimately comes from God. That's what James is saying. It could be said that God is the headwater of all that is good in our lives. He is good and he is the giver of good gifts. He is a giving God by nature. I mean, think about this. He gives generously in his work of creation and he gives generously in his care of creation and he gave generously in the sacrifice of his son and he continues to pour out his spirit in the lives of believers. Yes, God is a giver of good gifts. Now, James, again, he doesn't answer all of the questions that we have. He doesn't answer all of the questions that, that these believers had. I mean, why did God allow this persecution to break out when we were just trying to follow him? Why did my loved one die? He was just committed to Christ. Why did that happen? James doesn't answer all those questions, but what he does do is he points these believers back to the fact that God has given so much that he is a good God. Yes, every breath may be said to be a gift from God. Have you been blessed in one way or another? And the answer for every one of us is yes, yes, and yes. Then that blessing ultimately comes from God. Every good 
gift that we enjoy. It's ultimately from him. So why should we trust in the goodness of God in the face of pain and and difficulty and heartache? Well, from verses 16 and 17, we trust in his goodness because God is our provider. God is our provider. He gives us all that's good. We may face hardship, but we never face it without countless good gifts. He showers his people with goodness even in the face of pain. We can't forget this. We can't miss this. Otherwise, as James says, we may be deceived. We may allow our pain and our difficulty to blind us to the goodness and the character of God. No, he continuously gives good gifts. When a fellow decides that, that he's going to raise cattle, he has to, to think about some things. Does he have the kind of land that's going to be required to support a herd of cattle? If so, what, in terms of acreage, what, what, kind, what number of, of head of cattle can he, can he uh, uh, run? What will his acreage support? He's got to ask the question, what am I going to feed them if there's drought? Or what am I going to feed during the winter? Is he going to plant winter grass? Or, or what's the plan? What will be the cost for hay and the cost for feed? Is there some source for water? Does he have a tank? Does he have a well on this land? He's got to answer those questions because a good rancher is going to take care of his cattle. He's going to meet their needs. It's not going to make any money if, if he doesn't take care of them. But if a good rancher takes care of his cattle, how much more does God take care of his people? He takes care of us in countless ways, not for profit like, like a rancher, but he takes care of us because of who he is, because of his character. He is a good God. He loves, he cares, he provides. In my pain, I may not understand his plan, but I must remember his countless provisions in the midst of my pain I'm reminded that he loves even when I can't see, even when I can't understand. Yes, he is our good provider. How should this truth influence our lives and our thinking? Well, first, don't let pain blind you to the reality of who God is. Don't let pain blind you to the reality of of who God is. If you're hurting, one of Satan's poises is going to be to tempt you to believe that God doesn't care, that God doesn't exist. But don't you believe that for a moment. And when you have questions, take a journey back to the time when God gave the greatest of all gifts. Take a journey back to the cross and see those hands and those feet nailed to the cross. Look at those bloody wounds. You may not understand the pain that you experience, but you must not doubt his love. For he is a good God and he gave his one and only son that, that, that we might know him, that we might enjoy salvation. So never let pain blind you to the goodness of God. Just because you don't understand doesn't mean that God doesn't have a good reason. No, in the midst of our pain, we remember all the good gifts he gives. Next Count your blessings. Now, this sounds trite. Count your blessings. I've heard that a thousand times. But it's important. If you're hurting, take some time to reflect on all the good things that God has done in your life. It'll build your faith. Take some time to to, to list the ways that God has blessed you. It's not going to answer all the questions. You're still going to have questions looming in the back of your mind. This side of heaven, we don't get the answers to so many of those questions. But reflecting on how he's blessed you going to strengthen your faith. It's going to encourage you. 
So we trust in the goodness of God because he is our provider. He takes care of us. Why else should we trust in his goodness? Well, let's look in verse 17. James calls God the father of light. So here James calls God father. What does he mean? Well, if we know Jesus, then God is our father. And he cares for us like a father. He's the giver of life. His children matter to him. He protects them. He provides for them. He's a faithful father to his own. When James calls God the father of lights, he references the heavenly lights. This is a reminder that God is creator, that he's created the sun, the moon, the stars, all of the universe. And these heavenly lights, they're critical for life here on earth. So James reminds his readers that God is a creator who sustains, who gives life to his creation. In referring to God as the, as the father of lights, he's also pointing to the holiness of God. In 1 John 1, 5, the scripture says God is light and there is absolutely no darkness in him. So God isn't sometimes good and then sometimes not good. No, he's always light. He's always good. He's always holy. James says that God doesn't change like the shifting shadows. While these heavenly bodies that God created are a symbol of something that's firm and fixed, even they, they change and shift. The moon waxes and wanes, the sun sets and rises, the seasons change. But in God, there is no shifting. There is no change. In his being and in his nature, God never changes. He's always and only good. He is unchanging. The theological word that's used for this is immutability. Immutability, what it means, God doesn't change in his nature or in his purpose. James wants these hurting believers to grasp this concept, to realize that even in the midst of their pain, God is good. He isn't part good and part bad. He isn't sometimes good and sometimes not. No, God is unchanging. He's always good. So why should we trust in the goodness of God in the face of pain from verse 17? Because God is our faithful and unchanging father. He's our faithful and unchanging father. There are no exceptions. You must never doubt his love if you belong to him. Harold Kushner is a famous Jewish rabbi, and he's written a lot about the problem of pain. If God is all good and all powerful, how can pain exist? Well, this is what Rabbi Kushner has uh, said in regards to pain. He said this, well, God can't control everything. He doesn't have control of everything. So it's not that he's not all good. It's that he simply doesn't have the ability to control the laws of nature. Now, is that a fair way to explain the problem of suffering and pain? Well, not according to James, not for one minute. According to James, God is unchanging. He created the universe. He set the universe in motion and he still rules over it. He is a sovereign God who has all power. Psalm 135, 6 says this, the Lord does whatever. Ever he pleases in heaven and on earth, in the seas and in all the depths. We may not understand what God allows into our lives, but friends, we must never believe that God is anything other than, an, than the all-powerful, unchanging, and loving Father. We must never doubt those things. No nature nor any aspect of the universe is beyond his sovereign rule. So how do we live in light of this truth? Well, first, hold fast to God 
as your faithful and unchanging father. Hold fast to him. Earthly fathers certainly aren't perfect, but most, not all, I recognize, but most earthly fathers really want the good of their children. When your dad disciplined you, weren't there times that that you wondered what he was doing? You didn't understand why? But most of us knew deep down our dad was, was looking out for us, even when we didn't understand him. And similarly, we must hold on to God as our faithful father. And when we face pain that we don't understand, we've got to keep holding on. He won't let you go. He's better than the best of earthly fathers. He's greater. He's perfect. He is good, always and only good. He is unchanging, so keep holding on to him. Next, remind yourself of the truth about who God is. Satan is going to lie to you. He's going to tell you, you can't trust him. He's let you down. How could he have let this into your life? You don't really believe in him, do you? He's going to whisper those lies in your ears and you've got to preach to yourself the truth about who God is. That he's the giver of good gifts, that he's the faithful father. So when Satan tells you that God isn't for you, that God isn't real, that he's not loving, you've got to take these thoughts captive. You can't dwell there. You've got to take them captive and you've got to remind yourself of the truth of God's word. Memorize James 1.17 and use it as a guide for your prayer. Lord, help me to remember that you are the giver of all good gifts, that you're faithful, that you're unchanging. God, help me remember these things about you. Memorize James 1.17, memorize 1 John 1.5, memorize other verses that talk about who God is. And when Satan begins to whisper, whisper those lies, you, you go back to the word and you hold fast to what God says about who he is. Keep reminding yourself, keep preaching to yourself. So we trust in the goodness of God because he is our faithful and our unchanging father. Why else should we trust in the goodness of God in the face of pain? Let's look in verse 18. In verse 18, we see that God chose to give us birth, a spiritual birth. And here James is keeping with this uh, image of God as our father. God's responsible for our spiritual birth. We can't be saved apart from God moving in our hearts. So God graciously moves in our hearts that we might be born again, that we might know him as our father. Now, what means did God use to bring about our spiritual birth? Well, James says here, the word of truth. Well, what is the word of truth? The apostle Paul uses a similar phrase in several uh, instances. Let's take a look at one of them. Ephesians 1, 3 says, in him, you also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation. So the word of truth is the gospel. What's the gospel? The gospel is the truth that Jesus came to this earth and lived the perfect life, that he was nailed to a cross, that he was buried, and that he came back to life conquering sin and death. That's the gospel. And so how were these believers saved? By putting their faith in Jesus, by turning from their sin and calling out to Jesus. So James says that believers here are a kind of first fruits of all that God created or of God's redemptive work. Now in Judaism, remember the Jews were supposed to bring the first fruits of their crops in when they harvested. They were supposed to bring the first fruits as an offering to God. It was a way to say they were going to prioritize God. This earliest part of the harvest was going to belong to him. Well, why does James here call these believers or call believers the first fruits? It's because God's got a great plan of redemption and one day he's going to bring it 
to the full. It's going to be harvest time, you might say, when, when God creates a new heaven and a new earth. And these believers, as Christians, we're a part of the first fruits of God's great plan, of God's great plan of redemption when there's a new heaven and a new earth and when everything is made right. So why should we trust in the goodness of God from verse 18? Because God is our Savior. He's our Savior. He rescued us from sin. He sent His own Son, Jesus, who took the weight of our sin upon Himself, took the punishment that we deserve, and He made a way for those of us who are sin in sin and estranged from God to be forgiven and made right with the Father. Yes, He is our Savior, and our salvation here is the first fruit. It's a reminder that God has great plans ahead in the midst of this broken and hurting world. God's going to make things right. He's going to heal. So we need to hold fast to the goodness of God. We need to trust him. Imagine being on the battlefield. You're, you're in the midst of a battle and you're fighting and suddenly you find yourself isolated in the midst of, of this war. Your fellow soldiers are all gone and you're wandering around and you find an abandoned house. You go into this house and you begin to hide, not sure what's ahead. But after a bit, you hear the, the sound of troops advancing. And a couple of troops stop at the house that, that you're hidden in. And it's clear they're coming to your location. So you hold your hands up in the air and you surrender. And you expect that these soldiers are about to kill you or, or perhaps take you as a captive. But instead, the soldiers, they let you go free. Why? Why did they let you go free? You don't know the answer to the question, but, but you're free. They, they let you go. They let you live. Now, if you belong to God, you were once his enemy. You were living in rebellion to, to him. But what did God do? Well, when you called out to him in faith, he set you free. He, he let you go. Though, though you were living a life that was opposed to him, he, he, he said to you, you're free. Now, while we can't piece together all the heartaches of life, all the pain of life, what we can say is this, God is good. He is good. He sent his son that we might be saved and he has rescued us. Yes, he has set us free. He is our savior. So how should this truth change the way we think and live? Well, first ask yourself this critical question. Is God my savior? Is God my savior? He is not your savior if you haven't turned to him in faith. If you've trusted in your own goodness and thought, well, one day when I stand before him at judgment, he's gonna high five me and say, way to go, you didn't sin too much. You got it. If you thought that's the way it's gonna be, friend, I've got terrible news for you. You can be as good as you could possibly be and your goodness will melt away in the blazing purity of God, it will be as nothing. Why? Because God is so pure, all it takes to separate us from him and his purity is just one sin. And friends, we more than qualify, every single one of us. No, the only hope that you have when you stand before God at judgment day is that the blood of Christ has washed your sins white as snow. And so I ask you today, has his blood washed your sins white as snow? Have you called out to him and said, Jesus, I'm sorry for my sin. I want to turn away from my sin. I believe you died and rose again, and I want to follow you. Has that happened in your life? If it hasn't happened, he's not your savior. 
But once it has happened, oh, he's your savior. And if you, if, you, if you pray a prayer like that to God and you mean it, God will never let you go. Even when you stumble and fall, even when you mess up, he is holding you. He's your savior, a faithful father who never lets his children go, ever, ever. So is he your savior? Won't you come to Jesus? Won't you turn from your sin and know God is your father? Next, be grateful for your salvation. If you know Jesus, you have everything. If life feels bitter and your heart is broken, in reality, you have a hope that cannot die. You have a love that cannot fail. You have a father whose loving hands will never let you go. So hold fast to your salvation, even in pain, even in heartache. Next, the gospel must be central in our lives and in our churches. And what I mean is this. How, how is a person saved? It's the word of truth. So if we're going to be followers of Christ, we need to be sharing the word of truth with others. We need to be sharing the gospel with others. As a church, the gospel must be central in, in what we do. We've got to be committed to, to getting people to Jesus, to sharing with folks the way that they can be saved and know God as Father. In 2010, Haiti faced a devastating earthquake. The massive quake struck near the capital city and... Over 100,000 people were killed. The power grid, which was already questionable, was completely destroyed and all other infrastructure was absolutely wiped out. An NPR article marveled at the Haitian people after this devastating natural disaster. The night of the earthquake, while aftershocks were, were still occurring, most of the Haitian people in the affected areas gathered outside they were heartbroken of their, uh, over the losses that they had faced. They were crying and hurting. But many of the people gathered together, this, this article shared, and they began to sing. They sang. Their voices were raised in grief and lament, in hope and in prayer. The article said this about the Haitian people. For the Western Hemisphere's poorest country, the earthquake that hit Haiti was an especially cruel blow. Despite this, it's hard to find a Haitian who doesn't profess belief in a loving God. Now, you don't understand why God has allowed the trial or the situation that you face into your life. But let's let the example of these Haitians remind us that even in the face of our sorrow, God is good. He's good. You keep holding on. Keep holding on. Yes, trust in the goodness of God. He's our provider. He's our faithful and our unchanging father. He's our savior. So if you're a believer, I urge you. Spend time praising God for who he is. Even in the midst of your trials. Focus on who he is. The unchanging God. The faithful father. The loving savior. But focus on these things, brothers and sisters. There's life there. There's hope there. And when Satan begins to whisper lies to you, don't you believe them for a minute. You get a hold of God and you don't let go. You keep trusting him because you know him. You know he's good. You know he's good. For those of you who are here and who are not Christians, this morning God offers to be your heavenly father. Would you reject him? Would you turn aside from this perfect father who, who invites you to be his child? 
Would you ignore the, the love of one who gave up his own son? Oh, only a fool would do so. So today, I plead with you, if you're not a believer, won't you turn to Jesus in faith? Won't you call out to Jesus and be saved? Won't you know God as your father? Let's pray together.